Ephesians 6, 10 to 23. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I <clears throat> walk up here, I report to you that I have sore gluteus maximi from the boot camps which I've treasured each morning and thank you for joining me in those episodes. I've also enjoyed Sasha and her sisters with their, is it Sasha? I'm not sure, it's Sasha, so, uh, whatever her name is. Uh, it's been fun to see the uh, dance moves and, m and may I point out to you that that music is from my era and not yours uh, and therefore it is in music that I uh, grew up with. Uh, I've also enjoyed meeting so many of you and some of whom I've known the parents of and it's just so lovely to see a bit of dad in you, a bit of mum in you and the bad bits of both of them away from you. <laughs> and, you and No, I'm only kidding. They, it's just lovely to, to see how the gospel has gone through your families through to you and transformed your lives and most of all to see you wrestle with the word of God and to dig deep into the scriptures and in particular to see that the major theme is the gospel. The key to understanding all of the Bible is the gospel. And as we keep on working out what it is, as we keep reminding ourselves of what it is, we need to think through how to stand firm in it into eternity. So let me lead us in prayer as we seek to think God's thoughts after him. Our gracious Father, we thank you for bringing us to this last session of Mid-Year Conference and giving us five days of undistracted time to meet you in your word. And we pray, dear Father, that you will again so speak to our hearts from your word that it might penetrate our soul, joints, marrow, 
so that we will grow in the likeness of Jesus. Thinking his thoughts, following his example, being like him to all the world. Growing from one degree of glory to another. And Father, we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. The Christians of the first century in the town of Thessalonica had formed a fairly young church after Paul had visited them over three Sabbaths. But after the church had formed, it started to get persecuted. And they were alarmed as well because it was such a vulnerable young church that many other false teachers came in as well. And we learn from the book of 2 Thessalonians, which you might like to open up now to 2 Thessalonians. We learn from the book of 2 Thessalonians that false teachers had come in telling them that Jesus had already come back. We're in 2 Thessalonians. You might want to turn to chapter 2. So let's pick it up at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember all the T's are together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And how does Paul address the situation given that they are being persecuted and false teachers had come in? Look at chapter 2 verse 1. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. You see, what Paul recognizes is that these false teachers had come to say that Jesus had already returned, but he says, no, no, these are false teachers. In fact, these false teachers are actually claiming that this word that they were teaching regarding Jesus' return had come from Paul or by a spirit, from some supernatural means. And as Paul goes on in chapter 2, he actually describes that you will learn that there will be people who refuse to love the truth and they'll take pleasure in unrighteousness and they'll be swept away in a gale of error and evil involving rebellion and the so-called man of lawlessness. Now, we won't have time to work out who this man of lawlessness is, etc. But how do we live in these last times? How do we live in these end times? And Paul says, firstly, remember the big picture. Remember the big picture. That's not exactly the words he uses. They're my words. But have a look at verse 13 and 14, because that's what he's describing, the big picture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 how do we live in these end times that in which there will be rebellion? But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits. If you've got an ESV like me, the footnote actually says he chose you from the beginning, which is what I think is correct. Right? So because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. To this, belief in the truth, he called you how? Through our gospel. So that you may obtain the glory 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what's the big picture? In contrast to those who will perish for not loving the truth, in contrast to those who will be condemned for taking pleasure in unrighteousness, God chose the Thessalonian Christians from the very beginning to be saved. From the very beginning. Now that's reassuring, isn't it? He chose them before time began. Before he said, let there be light, he chose them. Indeed, he chose you if you're a Christian before the beginning of time. But that's not all. He chose them to be saved through, quote, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In other words, the work of the Spirit that transforms them into holiness and belief in the truth in contrast to those who refuse to believe in the truth. And he called them to this salvation, verse 14, through the gospel, the apostolic gospel, through the sensational news of Jesus that we've been bathing ourselves in all week. And the purpose of this call in the gospel is to, verse 14, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which I think refers to the time when Jesus returns in glory. That is, in these verses, God reassures the Thessalonians by looking at the whole sweep of eternity. In eternity past, God chose, to be, chose us to be saved. Then he called us in time, through his gospel, to be sanctified in the Spirit, to grow holy through the work of the Spirit, with a view to sharing Christ's glory in the eternity of the future when he returns. It's from eternity past to eternity future. That's the big picture. He says, remember the big picture. No matter what is going on, no matter what gale of, of error and evil is taking place, no matter what's happening in the world, remember the big picture. But it's not just what's out there in the world. I'm so acutely aware in talking to a number of you that because we live in these last days, many of us experience or will experience almost unbearable hardships. We heard just a little bit of Jason and Paula's story of how things were incredibly hard in Indonesia. Where it just seemed like God had taken everything from them. But you might be feeling that too because of circumstances in your own home. Maybe there is sickness in family. Maybe it is your own sickness that you're thinking of. Maybe there are enormous strains in marriage with your parents or with siblings or with friends. Maybe there are relational strains with friends. But there are tragedies, uh, victims of injustice and persecution and trials but I can't encourage you like the Thessalonians to look at the big picture for even if the devil mounts his fiercest attack and the rebellion breaks out and the man of lawlessness is revealed we can rest assured that God has chosen us from the beginning of time to be saved for the glory of Jesus when he returns So in light of this big picture, what do we, do we relax? Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry? Now on the contrary, look at verse 15. 
2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. How are they to stand firm? Firstly, to remember the big picture in these last days, but also by holding on to the apostolic word, holding on to the apostolic gospel in the apostolic word, what we know of as the scriptures. By holding on to the word of the apostles in the scriptures rather than the word of others or even the word of a spirit. See, be really careful, dear brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter who speaks that word of God or claims to speak the word of God. You've always got to weigh it against the scriptures in front of you. Whether it's a John Piper or a Tim Keller or a Matt Chandler or any of our staff here at Wollongong University, or whether it's your minister at church, your pastor at church, it doesn't matter who it is, or whichever celebrity you go for in the evangelical world, you've got to test it against Scripture. You've got to weigh it up against Scripture. You've got to weigh me up against Scripture in terms of what we've been looking at all week. That's why we, we've so encouraged you to try and work it out for yourself, and we've sought not to answer questions in terms of your own reading of 2 Timothy and your own reading from the seminars so that you can actually work it out for yourself. And those of you dear brothers and sisters who are actually going to go return home to your home countries, you might feel like you're all alone, you're all isolated, you're not going to have MYCs like this in your home country, but you have the Word of God. And that's why we want you to be able to handle it for yourself and know that God is with you in His Word and you can work it out for yourself in prayer this is the supreme authority in all matters of life, faith and conduct. Not the minister, not the pastor, not the commentator, not the book. It's the word of God. And you can work it out for yourself by God's spirit. Hold on. That's how you stand firm. That's why we want to equip you. That's why we run team looking at truth to work out. You can handle this for yourself. God has given you a mind to think through these things. And it's not, not all that hard at one level, although it is hard work to do that. It's not wasted, is it? We spent a whole week, you kind of think, we're going to spend a whole week looking at the gospel? I knew the gospel, but did you really? We've come here thinking, maybe I can learn a little bit more. I hope you leave thinking, I've only begun to touch the tip of the iceberg this whole week. And it's just given me a desire to get to know the word of God more and more and more and more and more. We've got to hold on right, to the apostolic gospel. Now, it's not just the celebrities out there. Paul says, even if an angel of God comes down, Right, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. You just jot it down. I'll read it to you. Galatians 1, verse 8. It says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. So even if this roof parted and the archangel Michael came down, right here, the actual archangel Michael came down, the real one that was in the scriptures, he came down and he actually said, here's the gospel, the one that you had in the Bible and what you looked at in the Bible this week is actually different. And it was the angel who was coming down. He's wrong. This has more authority than the supernatural beings. Stick to the word. Stand firm in his word. That's what we were doing all week. But Paul speaks about standing firm in another context. 
Now turn with me to the reading that Rebecca read to us in Ephesians. So just go back, flip back to the left to Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13. Stand firm by looking at the big picture, by looking at the apostolic word, weighing everything against it. Here verse 13, chapter 6. What do we read? Therefore... Take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and in having done all, to stand firm. See, what are we to stand firm against? Evil. Understanding evil, withstanding evil on that day. Having done all to stand firm. Now what words come to your mind when you hear the word evil? Just turn to the person next to you. What words come to mind when you think of the word evil? Here's a word game. Go for it. Just words. Just come up with words. Bang, 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 bang. Evil, evil, Should I share with this? Okay. That's enough evil. That's enough evil. Turn back to me. What words came to mind when you thought of the word evil? Quick. Dark. What? Dark. Dark. Yes. Other words? Death. Death. Violence. Violence. The devil. Wicked. Sorry? I, th I heard the word holly. <laughs> She's not evil, whoever holly is. <laughs> but yes. That's a, and what, a, a, what movies come to mind when you think of the word evil? Anybody think of any movies? Lord of the Rings, yes, Sauron, Star Wars, yes, Darth Vader, Voldemort, yeah, those names come to mind. <laughs> Don't mention his name, yes, yes. So evil, that kind of stuff comes to mind. And, and a new movie to some of you, although it was a movie in my day during the music of my era that you're dancing to, Ghostbusters. Supernatural movie comedy in which three eccentric parapsychologists in New York City start a ghost-catching business, capturing ghosts and demons, eventually by using, wait for it, psychoreactive slime. It's great. That's how they kill evil. But more seriously, we perhaps think of recent world events, don't we? More seriously, we think about Islamic State beheading innocent lives, the sex trade throughout the world. We heard a little bit about it through Paula last night, but I've got friends in Nepal who tell me that there are pimps who prey on the vulnerable underage girls by going into the remote villages after earthquakes in recent years. And they go in saying, we're going to offer your daughters a better life in the city. And they pay the money and they so innocently think that their daughters are going to get food and be kept well, but all they're doing is buying them in order to have them prostituted in the cities. That's evil. Now, I haven't even begun to mention the atrocities committed in history under Hitler and Stalin and Mao Zedong and Kim Jong-un and the list goes on and on and on and on. But Paul says here, that is an even greater evil, a supernatural evil to engage with. That's there in verse 11. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Please note that against the backdrop of our walk with God in these last days, we are engaged in a spiritual war against the devil himself and his agents. And it's a dirty war. The devil has schemes, verse 11. The devil has thought out strategies. And one of his tactics is to make us not to take him seriously. That's one of his best tactics. (coughs) Whilst in some settings people take him too seriously... Our temptation here, at least, from the devil himself, is not to think about him at all. When was the last time you thought seriously about the devil? When? Maybe a little bit in talking about the defeat of the devil in the gospel in this conference, but have you actually thought more about his strategies and his tactics? He's real. He was defeated when Jesus died and rose again, but he still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And together with his agents, they're not humans. They're not flesh and blood. They are rulers. They are authorities. They are cosmic powers of darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, we're told. And so how do we engage with the supernatural evil? Firstly, we engage this evil in the Lord's strength. In the Lord's strength. I think that's in your outline, chapter 6, verse 10 of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, right? In the strength of God's might. That's how we engage with evil in the first instance. Our strength to engage can only be fueled by the strength of Jesus. But how can we be strengthened by the strength of Jesus? Sounds a bit like a cliche, you know, be strong in the Lord. It's a bit like saying, be washed in the word, be cleansed in the spirit, be soaked in the blood of the lamb. It's all very clean sort of stuff, isn't it? Soaked, clean, cleansed. But look at how Paul himself engaged with the powers and principalities. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. This is how Paul engaged with evil. Chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, this apostolic gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given... To what? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's code for gospel. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that, verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to whom? to the rulers, to the authorities in the heavenly realms, these devil and his angels. That is, the way Paul engaged evil in the Lord's strength was by preaching 
the Lord's powerful gospel by proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is as we proclaim and as we bear the fruit of the sensational news of Jesus that we can be strong in his might. It's relying on his gospel. The gospel news of Jesus is not just a tool to share. It is the power of God. So we don't do it through our cleverness, our, our tactics or our creativity. We do it through the message of Jesus. And it fuels our strength to engage in overwhelming supernatural evil. It's the gospel. That's the Lord's strength. Secondly, we engage in the Lord's strength by relying... Oh, sorry, that's the first thing. We rely on his powerful gospel. But secondly, we engage evil as we stand firm in the whole armour of God. Stand firm in the whole armour of God. Verse 13 of chapter 6. Come back to chapter 6 now, verse 13. Therefore, chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. See, although it's the Lord's strength that empowers us, we're not passive creatures. We're called upon to wrestle, verse 12, right? Come back to verse 12 again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do so by standing firm. One of the sports that I grew up with when I was listening to this dance music was rock and roll wrestling. Anybody seen rock and roll wrestling? It's these huge giants that come on, they jump off the side, they plonk on people, and then people... Um, in fact, I saw rock and roll wrestling here. It was Johnny Han and Tim Norris on the floor <laughs> over there. They tried to be rock and roll wrestlers. They haven't quite got the physique of a rock and roll wrestler. Those guys are big. But that's the kind of wrestling that I saw on TV that I really, really enjoyed. It was all kind of makeup and staged, I understand, although you never tell that to one of the rock and roll wrestlers because they get very angry and smack you in the face and kill you. But otherwise, <laughs> from that, it was pretty much staged, really, on TV, as I understand it. But it was kind of fun. There were people like Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, you know, the giant figure from The Princess Bride. They, they were actually real kind of rock and roll wrestlers. And I grew up watching that sort of stuff. It was just staged fun but the kind of wrestling here is more equivalent to sumo wrestling that's real wrestling these oversized obese men with oversized nappies and you know they do the oh, i can't do it i'm too sore um, but they, they do the stomping and then they you know the arms in the air and what's the goal of the sumo wrestler Anybody tell me? To push them out of the circle. But what do you do in pushing out of the circle as they try to do it to you? You stand firm. It's more like that kind of wrestling. It's more like sumo wrestling. Spiritual sumo wrestling. Think of yourself as a spiritual sumo wrestler with your <laughs> Jason... McPhail calls his tummy the winter warmy. Think of yourself as a winter warmy kind of sumo wrestler. You need to be 
able to stand firm. The equivalent of standing firm in our spiritual wrestle is not to be tossed to and fro, therefore, by every wind of doctrine. So again, I think the illusion is back here in Ephesians chapter 4. Come back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Verse 14. See, when you stand firm, you're not tossed back and forth. In verse 14 we read, and we'll come back to read the preceding verses a bit later, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped with each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, the, the opposite of standing firm is being tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching, by every wind of false teaching that is out there, which is why we need to be so discerning, which is why we want you to know your Bible so well that you can work out what is not right teaching that is plaguing our world. You go around the South Pacific Islands that I have and you'll know that prosperity gospel is just rife. You go around to many parts of Africa, as we heard from Kate the other night, it is just rife where they're hearing this gospel that if you do things one way, you're going to get blessed. If you discipline yourself this way, then you get blessed. If you're going to do this way and give enough money to the, the minister, then you'll get blessed. And that's a prosperity gospel, the cosmic renewal gospel that we've talked about, or, the, or trying to coalesce what is the gospel and the fruit of the gospel. You've got to be so discerning about these things and not be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. Now you stand firm in the gospel. That's what it's on about here. We're not to be wobbly Christians in the ocean. No, we've got to be people who stand firm when it comes to the deceitful schemes of the devil. That's why it's so important that we get to know our Bibles well. But what else is on view? What else is on view? Well, let's go beforehand to verse 11. Verse 11. And he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Right? What's that? What's, that's what we've been doing all week. The knowledge of the Son of God is the gospel. Right? And how do, what does it do? It enables us to grow into mature manhood to into maturity to measure of the stature of the fullness of christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves with every wind of doctrine etc see what do the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors the teachers all have in common they preach the word of god the word of the gospel to equip the saints for ministry that's what we're seeking to do with you to equip you train you in evangelism and ministry to train you so that by the word you might stand firm and take this gospel truth this true gospel prayerfully take it to the ends of the earth and we keep growing in this gospel until we reach maturity so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and the way we do this is by speaking the truth in love verse 15 right? speaking the truth in love Speaking the truth of God's word in love. Learning and applying good doctrine. That's why it's so important to get to know our Bibles. But of course doctrine is not to remain head knowledge. We stand firm with right doctrine. 
But as you look through, as he talks about, yes, right doctrine is really important, but then after that, through the chapter 4 and chapter 5, which we don't have time to look at, sadly, but this means standing firm against sin. Yes, it's speaking the truth in love, but if you read chapter 5 and chapter 6, you'll see it means not letting anger overtake you, not having any hint of sexual immorality, not being greedy, being filled with the Spirit as we submit to one another, with wives submitting to husbands and children to parents and slaves to masters. It just goes on and on about the fruit of the gospel, how we live really godly lives because of the gospel, and that is the fruit that is to be born, that is to be inevitable. That's why, you see, as a, as a staff team, we belong to a national movement called the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students, and we have a code of conduct. You know what a code of conduct is? It's a spiritual war manual. That's what it is, a spiritual war manual, because we're at war. We're to actually be at war against the devil because he's our ultimate enemy. And we're to do so by knowing God in his word and living out godly lives and longing to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. And we need to be alert to the fact that it's wartime. We're at war. We need to be on alert. We are armed. We are vigilant. We spend money differently. We're to cut back. In war, the luxury cruise liner becomes a troops carrier. The five-star hotel becomes the army headquarters. And everyone is thinking of the troops on the front line. That's the war effort. That's what we're thinking about over and over and over again. The devil is the ultimate enemy. And surprise, surprise, when we use the equipment that God gives us, it's his armor. That's why we come back to Ephesians 6 when we fight this war. What is his armor contain verse 14 as we seek to stand firm in the gospel what do we do verse 14 stand therefore chapter 6 verse 14 stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace do you see what he's saying there Keep going in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which is the word of God. Surprise, surprise, all these pieces of armor have to do with the gospel of Jesus, if you think about it. The belt of truth is the truth of the gospel. The breastplate of righteousness is the right standing before God that we have because of the gospel. The shoes are readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. Well, the faith is what we have in the promises of the gospel, trusting in the gospel. Helmet of salvation. Well, salvation is received because of what the gospel gives us. The sword of the spirit is the gospel word of God. It's all, all, all gospel, really. And please note that the only offensive weapon we have against the devil is the word of God. Everything else is defensive armor, but the offensive armor is the word of God. You want to do something powerful in this world? Know your Bibles. Preach the word. You want to fight against the devil? Know the Bible. Live the Bible. Speak it to others. We've been at war all week. By thinking deep about the word of God, about the gospel in his scriptures. 
The way we are to engage with the devil and his angels is by proclaiming and bearing the fruit of the gospel, by wearing the armour of God. And as we live gospel lives and proclaim the message of Jesus, as we make known the manifold wisdom of God in Christ to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, we engage with the enemy in God's strength. And undergirding this armory is praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Did you notice the word all there? If the sword of the Spirit is the gospel word of God, then to pray in the Spirit is to pray in accordance with that word of the gospel. In all our prayer, at all times, for all our fellow brothers and sisters, prayer is not another piece of armory here. Prayer undergirds our armory. So let's fight the wicked schemes of the devil in prayer. There's a slightly cheesy movie going around at the moment a Christian movie called The War Room. Hands up who's heard of that movie. Hands up, keep your hand up if you've seen the movie. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? It's a bit cheesy at points, but geez, a good movie. Oh, thumbs up from, what's your name? Sasha's sister? Well, Janice, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. It's just, it's <laughs> basically it's this African-American lady who's old and she has this room and she, that's, that's her room where she prays and she just does all these amazing things, but it's just prayer, prayer, prayer. And you, you, you're left feeling like, oh, that's a bit cheesy, that's a bit, but at the end of it, you kind of think, yeah, I really want to pray. Prayer really is powerful. It really, really is. So let's fight the wicked schemes of the devil in prayer. Praying for our fellow brothers and sisters on other campuses, other parts of the world regularly. That's why we have our prayer pods, right? our prayer groups. Now, I don't want to guilt you into this. If you have the time on that particular day, and we're going to try and make it as possible as we can, we'd love you to get to one of those prayer groups. There's one on every day. Is that right, Sarah? There's one on every day, different times of the day. And groups of three, four, sometimes they're just two or three. But we're praying, and we're going to be praying through things and knowing that. And certainly, I hope and pray that we'll be praying, certainly for our three friends that we began with last night, and we'll keep praying for them over and over again. That every time you And by the way, dear brothers, this is your initiative in particular. If there's one gender left standing at the end of the day praying, it's got to be men. Because that's what we're called upon to do, especially in 1 Timothy 2. I'm not saying that sisters don't pray. But I'm saying that God calls upon us uniquely and as men to pray and to initiate in prayer. One of the things I always get a feeling a bit antsy about is that when we have mixed groups and we say, okay, let's pray, and suddenly there's all silence, and suddenly and the men just kind of sit back thinking, ah, oh, our sisters, they're far more articulate, let them pray, you know. Now, if a man, we should be you know, praying. The men should be going, boom, boom, I'll pray, I'll, I'll pray, boom, 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 pray. Because it, it's, it's up to us to pray. If there's one last gender state, it's got to be us men. Right? We're going to lead our sisters in prayer, first and foremost. You may not be articulate as them. You might not be as able as them. But that's how we serve, especially. 1 Timothy 2 is where I'm getting that from. Sisters, you haven't misheard me, have you? I want you to be prayer warriors too. But let's pray together. Now, groups, small groups, large groups, whatever it is, make sure that we're praying. 
And the Puritans used to say, you pray until you pray. You know how you start praying and it feels like, oh, it's a bit of a gap, and you pray and you keep on, and you kind of think, oh, I can't really pray, etc. But then you just pray and you pray and eventually you start praying and you feel like, well, you'll get into the very presence of God. Oh, I'm looking at Jason. I remember one, uh, Jason McFarlane, one, one of the first groups. I just remember saying, yeah, let's pray about that. And he just went on and on and on. I kind of think, oh, but it was great. It was wonderful. I thought, this guy's a prayer. It was wonderful. I've got another friend who actually takes the initiative all the time. He says, you know, we're talking. He says, let's pray about that. And I go, okay, great. Okay. He says, let's pray about that. And suddenly I was actually walking across the street. This is in Newtown. I was in, at Moore College, which is a theological college. I was walking to the other side where there's a singles quarters for the boys. And then we were walking across, and he suddenly, we we're in the middle of the road. Said, let's pray about that. We're in the middle of the road, and the car's going. Let's pray. Oh, okay, let's pray. let's pray. And he started praying in the middle of the road. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Zoom, 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 zoom. Cars. Let's pray. Let's pray. But but it was great because this guy just couldn't help himself. He says, "Got to pray about that story. Let's pray about that, Richard. Let's pray about that. That's that's what we've got to be like, right? So we have conversations. It's going to look really weird, isn't it? Go around campus and hey, isn't that great? Let's pray about that. Down. You're going to see two people with kind of eyes closed looking at each other, but not looking at each other because their eyes are closed and they're praying. Let's just get into prayer mode. Paul himself asks for prayer, but isn't it amazing what he prays for though? Look at verse 19. Verse 19. So he's saying, you know, praying at all times in the Spirit, etc. Verse 19, praying also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Do you see what he asked for prayer? He doesn't ask for being released from jail because he's in jail. He doesn't ask for good health. He asks that he might proclaim the gospel boldly. The sensational news of Jesus boldly. That's, that's first and foremost in Paul's heart. Isn't that a great prayer to pray for one another? That will be bold. Bold. Take risks. And finally, Paul ends this letter to assure the Ephesian Christians. In verse 21, it says, so that you may also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. He longs to encourage their hearts with news of his spiritual welfare and assure them of God's love for them. That's wonderful, isn't it? And that's what we get in terms of letters from missionary friends. And as we get them, I hope we pray for them. For Stan and Claire as they return to the Middle East. Rebars have just come back from Slovenia. But we can keep praying for Slovenia because there's a group there that, and, and their general secretary actually did some work with us here in Australia. The other link missionaries that we keep on thinking of, praying for. So as we finish our week together at Midji Conference and begin semester two on, on Monday, we start. My goodness, on Monday. Don't worry, it's all nice because you're going to be lovey-dovey and crying here at Kleenex because we're going to say goodbye. But you'll see each other on Monday, so don't <laughs> worry about it. But it'd be great to see each other, wouldn't it? 
And as we navigate life, it will involve struggle, it will involve hardship against the very real and wicked schemes of the devil. But please, please, prayerfully know and tell the true gospel of Jesus. That's what this week's all about. I say this to every new generation of students, and so I say it to you. What is taught in the first generation can be assumed in the second generation before it's forgotten or confused in the third generation and then eventually denied in the fourth generation. And that's the gospel in terms of its transition that I've seen in so many international conferences. They were taught in the first generation the true gospel, but the second generation assumed it so they didn't really teach it to the next generation because they just assumed that everybody knew it. But then the, the third generation therefore forgot it or got confused about it, which is why we kept on getting the prosperity gospel or the, the cosmic renewal gospel or the conflation of the, the gospel and its fruit, and then eventually you'd start having it denied altogether. And the problem is the second generation for assuming the gospel, not passing it on. That's why you never ever assume it. Make sure you teach it to your youth group kids, won't you? To your Sunday school. Keep preaching it to yourself. Keep preaching it to others. Please bear the fruit of it as well by living godly lives in the strength of Jesus. For he has defeated the devil through his death and resurrection. The victory is ours in Jesus, but the battle continues until he comes back to take us home. And when he does take us home, he will have a whole new creation unfold where all things will be made new, where there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more evil, no more death. And we can look forward to that time, which is a permanent marriage between Christ and his people. So whether we're single or married, there's no marriage in heaven, but we will enjoy marriage with Jesus himself. And what makes heaven heaven is not the geography, not how wonderful it looks. What makes heaven heaven is being with Jesus and seeing him face to face in undiluted glory. That's what we look forward to. But as we look forward to that, we do so with joy, but we're at war at the same time. So until then, dear brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might, through his glorious gospel, putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil as participants of the sensational, glorious, momentous, unbelievable, life-transforming news of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the news of Jesus, of his life, his death, his resurrection, 
of his call upon every man, woman, boy and girl to submit to his lordship. And we pray that we will never forget this news or assume this news but to gladly submit to it, to know it, to live it out, to proclaim it and take it to all the world. And whatever happens, Father, help us to stand firm in your gospel, looking forward to the return of Jesus, where we will indeed see you face to face. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.